I'm drinking a little wine because I was pretty nervous. Should I drink wine too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to go get some wine. Welcome to Shiny Epi People. I'm Lisa Bodner, and I'm an epidemiologist at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, in full disclosure, I've recorded this introduction four times because I screwed up the name of the podcast, calling it Shiny Happy People, which actually is the song by R.E.M. that the show's title is based on. So we're going to try to get it right this time. You may wonder why in the world I'm starting a podcast while things are this stressful, trying to work at home and manage three kids' needs. And in fact, I've asked myself that very question many times in the past couple of weeks. But in seriousness, I decided to start this podcast because I think while we all know many epidemiologists for their work improving the public's health, we may not know about many of their struggles and their triumphs, or about their families, their self-care routines, their junk TV obsessions, their useless talents, uh, whether they believe in the five-second rule, and their thoughts on honeydew. And I think it's delicious, so you can fight me. They are normal people behind these bylines of papers that we cite or people that we religiously follow on social media. And so, This show is really about revealing their humanity to make these giants in our field relatable. It's like the Us Weekly magazine section, stars, they're just like us, but for epidemiologists. Today, I'm talking with rock star, substance use and mental health epidemiologist at Columbia University, Carrie Keyes. Carrie is an NIH-funded investigator who's published close to 300 papers and is a really important person in our field. She's also a very good friend of mine. So I hope you enjoy this chat. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Lisa. The shiny epi people. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so privilege to be the uh, inaugural guest. I think, that that's the bar. Pro- I think it's probably CV worthy. Don't you think? Put it on your CV. 100%. <laughs> that's what I thought. So we have a big job to do today because Michelle Obama's podcast is also dropping this week. Right. All right. So so numbers wise, you know, who's going to kind of come out on top? It's it's a numbers game. I, I get it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The so podcast world is very competitive. I don't want to like fully take the wind out of her sails, but sure, sure. You know, just enough. Okay. Okay. So, Carrie, do you remember when we met? I do remember. Do you remember when we met? I remember, I think it was at SER in 2012 in Miami. Is that right? That's not, well, maybe that's, that's where we like met, met for the first time. But I, you know, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I knew you, you know, it was like a high buy situation in like a group. But then I was on a Facebook group, single parents in academia for a long time. And you posted, you joined the group and you kind of just an introduction. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm an epidemiologist. Kind of here's my story. I'm going into this. And I was like, oh no, 
I know this person. You know what I mean? Like these Facebook, yeah. people, like you share a lot of personal information. And I was like, I know this person. I don't, I didn't, I wasn't sure that you knew me. I was like, she oh, I know who, you. she doesn't know who I am, but I know her and I don't want to make this awkward. And I, I don't want to make her feel like her confidentiality is compromised. You know, I was like, really You're so ethical. I was, I was really at a loss for what to do. And so I Googled your email and I sent you an email. Mm-hmm. I don't even mm. remember. And I was like, I don't remember. Hey, um, I don't know if you know me, but I'm Carrie Keys and <laughs> you're on SER. And I just uh-huh. want to let you know that I'm in this Facebook group. You know, I saw that you posted. I just don't want it to be weird. If it is weird, just let me know. But like, welcome. Single parenting is amazing. You know, I'm happy to go on this journey with you. And I just was like, oh my gosh, like, how were you going to react? I wasn't sure. So that's how I remember our meeting. And you immediately back and you're like, Carrie Keys, of course I know you. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. I want to talk about that specifically, the single motherhood stuff. So I was going to say, you know, that's how we really got to be friends and have this relationship outside of work. Um, And it's something that I've really valued is having someone who is in a really similar situation as I am in terms of, you know, a high demand career in academia and single parenting. So can you talk a little bit about how managing your career while single mothering changed? I mean, I'd love to hear how you do it, but what was it like in the beginning? And then did it change as time went on? Yeah. I had my son when I was uh, working on my dissertation. Well, I was pregnant while I was working on my dissertation. I defended my dissertation and I had my son a couple weeks after that and was married at the time and, you know, then kind of did a postdoc. And then I joined um, Columbia on, on the faculty in around 2012. And I I broke up with my husband in 2013. So it mm-hmm. was like year one of the tenure yeah. track. Yeah. Um, this marriage dissolved. You know, it was really, yeah, it was really tough, you know, because you were trying to figure out this new life for yourself. And there are just a lot of logistics when it comes to divorce. Um, As you know, Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time to navigate everything, like all the different things that you need to do. Also, you're going on this whole emotional journey, obviously, which is a big part of it. And at the same time, you kind of have to show up to work and teach your classes and mentor your students. Um... I was really fortunate because I had single parent friends in the department. The first thing I did is reach out to my friends in the department who were women who had gone through divorce. And we formed a club called Hot Divorce Moms Club. Obviously. Obviously. And, you know, it was just like, it was that supportive network, just like you and me, where it was people who who were going through a similar situation and could commiserate with you and could help you out and could have your back in terms of department stuff. Um, and so that was really useful for me. And so I guess the, you know, the recommendation I would give to people, of course, who are going through a divorce and entering single parenthood is like, find your people, you know, I, honestly, like, being in single parents in academia was a huge um, source of support for me. And then having friends in real life online, all of it was really, really made me feel normal and gave me a sense of like, I'm not going through this alone. And so, yeah, it was, it was very challenging at first trying to find that new rhythm, find your new normal, trying to date, trying to do it all while you're, you know, on the tenure track. And it did get easier over time because, 
think you find your new baseline, whatever that is, and, and challenges come up along the way. And life is different for single parents, because you just have challenges that other people don't in terms of support, and especially financial support, you know, that's a huge being in a two parent home, affords you a lot uh, different lifestyle, depending on what the two parent situation is, that's not a blanket statement, but but financially, it is really difficult to be a single parent. And then in 2018, my ex husband died. And so that then was a whole new set of challenges. Because when you're a single parent, but you're sharing custody with someone, Hmm. that's different than when you're a single parent, and it's 24 seven, and there's no one else. And if you need two hours, you are paying a babysitter or asking for a favor, or you know, there's no weekends off, there's none of that. And with that too came it's each part of my parenting journey, I guess, (laughs) from like, being married, and negotiating that, which is difficult, you're living with another person. And in my particular circumstance, like a marriage that wasn't working out, that was challenging. And now you're single parenting and you're sharing custody. That's challenging. But had this reward of like every other weekend, you had yourself. And then when my ex-husband died, then it was additional challenges, but also additional, you know, like, no, I didn't have to share time, custody, anything with anybody. I got to make all the decisions. I got to do whatever I wanted. I was not constrained geographically. I was not constrained with anything. And so there are kind of pros and cons of of each of those situations. And obviously, you know, the one I'm in now is not the one that I would pick for myself or for my child. What we learn about in grief therapy, Lisa, is that it's okay for good things to happen, even though a bad thing happened to you. And it's okay for good things to happen because the bad thing happened to you. And so we talk about that that. a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, I try to frame the divorce. A lot of good things happened because a bad thing happened to me. And then my ex-husband died and good things happened because a bad thing happened to me. So I love that. So as you know, Carrie, like so many mothers, and I think especially single mothers, have a hard time prioritizing themselves. And and their needs. And not that uh, our needs trump all others, but our needs are important. But one of the things that I admire so much about you is you are really good at knowing what kind of me time you need, taking that time without feeling guilty about it. Can you talk about that? Because I think it's something that's sort of universal among parents. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny that you say that I'm good at it because, you know, I feel like with so many things, you're like, well, I'm not good at that. Yeah. Other people are good at that, but I'm not good at it. And so the grass is always greener in every situation. But, you know, I do... I I do think that I've always been able to hold boundaries really well. I don't give time to things that I'm not interested in or that are not, I find, enjoyable or worthwhile or important in some other way. You know, obviously like 24 seven parenting is not enjoyable or worthwhile, frankly, but but it's like, I don't really have a choice, you know, but trying, I I do think that I have never had the same guilt levers that other women. Yeah. I've noticed that I have no guilt whatsoever with taking vacations that I need to take without my kid, making sure that he's safe and he's in a situation that is great. And I'm really fortunate that I have, what is it called? Like a blended family situation. So my ex-husband was remarried when he died and he had a child from that relationship. So my son has a half sibling and I get along really, really, really well with the mom of that child, my ex-husband's widow. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's sometimes yeah. hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the fact that I've had her and her 
warmth and openness to accepting me and accepting Aiden. A lot of people could walk away and be like, you know what, I'm moving on, you know, with legitimately be like, you know what, this was a terrible situation. I'll see you once every couple of years or something. You know what I mean? But she is very adamant that he is a part of her family and he calls her parents like mom and pop or something like grandma and grandpa ish. You know what I mean? So that's been, again, I think in all of this, it's like, you've got to find community, you know, you've got to find social connections and trauma and awful things are a part of life, are a part of so many of our lives, you know, and that's part of me as being a psychiatric epidemiologist is, you know, something I say to every single class that I teach is I can guarantee that every single person in this room has experienced incredibly stressful and traumatic life events. And that most people in this room either have had an experience with a psychiatric disorder or have a close family or friend who has had experience with a serious psychiatric disorder. So these are not conditions that are anathema to the human condition. We don't like to talk about them because talking about scary, traumatic things, whether it's divorce, parental death, you know, all of these things are very challenging to to think about. You know, like if, if you're in a relationship, it's like thinking about what your life would be like if you weren't in that marriage, even if you're unhappy, is terrifying for so many different reasons. And sometimes you make the choice to leave those relationships. And sometimes like in the case with my ex-husband, you don't get the choice. Um, and you are faced with a, a very traumatic situation. The more you have those connections, the more you have people in your life who are supportive, the more level ground you have to work through your trauma. And it's not that you shouldn't have really serious emotional consequences to terrible events. Those are what are going to happen. And the idea, you know, I get upset a lot at this idea of resilience. Like people say all the time to me, your son is so resilient because he acts quote unquote normal, or, you know, he can, he has such a good nature or whatever. And I'm like, that's not resilience. Resilience is not the absence of traumatic emotions after a stressful situation. Resilience is your ability to, to me, and I mean, again, this is just my thoughts on it, but I feel like what is resilient is your ability to work through your symptoms in meaningful ways and express them and, and find people who allow you to express them in ways that are true to yourself. And someone who's like, don't talk about it. Like, let's just move on. Like, why can't you just get over it? That is not emotional growth. Emotional growth is you can break down. You can, I mean, my son, the year after his dad died, didn't didn't make it through a whole day of school for a year. He would call me every day and say, I just can't do it today. And that is resilience because he spoke up and he called me and he spoke his feelings. And he said, this is what I need. He would tell his teachers, this is what I need. I need to go sit in the principal's office for a while. To me, that is needs to be more of the conversation <laughs> because trying to trying to stop traumatic events is probably not sure we should we should of course do that as well but bad shit happens bad shit happens yeah this is why we get along so well Carrie obviously because we speak that same language and we really value emotional growth let me just ask you like how do you manage work like how do you get stuff done when you've got a kid at home all the time cuz you're really good at this <sighs> you are better at this than everyone I know. You know, I mean, again, I think it's low tolerance for bullshit and keeping my eye on things that that really I want to be spending my time on. Like I really try to, I really try to structure my day around the things that I, I that I want to be doing that advance the goals that I have. 
And so I really do try to keep external distractions to a minimum, unless they're external distractions that I want. You know, it's mm-hmm. fine to be external. And, and it's not like you have to be a super producing machine. Some days I don't get anything done because like there's a Twitter war going on that's like really fun to read about. That's okay. <laughs> like I, I have no problem with that because I'm enjoying doing it. I did this exercise a couple times, especially when I was early on in my assistant professor life, because especially when you start as an assistant professor, you have no idea what's up and down and left and right. And you end up getting pulled in a million directions. And it's really, it really stressed me out. I felt really anxious. I felt like, you know, I wasn't doing the things that I want to do. And my friend, Mark Katzenbuehler, who recently left Columbia and was a faculty member in sociomedical sciences and a wonderful person and researcher. He told me about this exercise where, you know, it's like what it's, you read about these a lot and kind of productivity manuals or courses and stuff where you make a list of the things you're doing and the amount of time you're doing them. And then you make a list of the things that you want to be doing and the amount of time that you want to be doing them and the things that don't align, you cut out. And so I have done that several times when I'm really feeling overwhelmed and stressed out. And you would be surprised, like this is the thing that's actually really surprised me about academia is I had a lot of fear about going to my chair or going to leadership and saying, I don't, I don't want to do this thing anymore. Like this thing I've been doing, I don't, I don't want to do it because I don't, for no reason except I don't want to. And I've done that now. And every single time, whoever the person in leadership is like, great. Okay. Oh, you don't want to do that? No problem. Well, sure. Like there's, there's never, you know, and I'm going in being like, okay, I've got my list. I'm going to convince this person why I don't want to be on this committee or do this thing. And every single time they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. No. Yeah. You definitely should be like working on this other thing. And I'm like, wait, what? I can just, I can just not do it. And I've had this experience too, where it's like, I was so worried about disappointing everyone and they were not going to like me anymore, quote unquote. And although it has resulted in people being disappointed, it's not like that's the end of the world. We need to disappoint people in order to set our boundaries. Yeah. And that's life. That's life. Yeah. And so that's really has been a successful tool for me to be productive, I guess, or whatever, quote unquote, productivity is, I realized that that's, I don't know, kind of a loaded term, I guess, but rather than productive, but allowing me to do the work that I want to do and the work that I actually find meaningful and work with people that I actually find to be intellectually engaging and on the same plane as me. But I have very low levels in general of like anxiety about things. I, I find compared to especially my female peers, who are a lot more like, oh, I, you know, I'm worried about doing X, Y, Z because so-and-so is going to react. And and my usual reaction is like, oh, well, that's that. Yeah, you're so good at that. <laughs> that's why I turn to you a lot. And I'm like, should I feel bad about this? And you're like, no. no. <laughs> I don't feel bad about anything. <laughs> I know. It's such a gift. I love it. It is a gift because no matter what I do, I justify it in my head of like, well, that was my truth that day. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, yeah. on to the hard-hitting questions. Okay. What animal describes your professional personality? Well, I'll tell you, my son and I play this game called um, Evolution, and you get to build your own species. <laughs> and so nerdy. It's so nerdy, but it's really fun. It's a, it's a great <laughs> game. Um, you get to build your own species and, and you get to have different qualities. Like you get to assign your different species qualities and, and those qualities come with, with pros and cons. 
I'm just thinking through the the qualities of an animal that I think best describe me, which are not one single animal. I want to like take from different animals, but I think I'm a. Oh, I think, this is so academic. Like, well, it depends on the situation, <laughs> and I'm like this sometimes, but I'm like this other times. I think I'm a burrower. What? I'm a burrower. You know, like the animals that like burrow. a groundhog. Yeah, like a like a like an animal that burrows. I I I I burrow in. You know what I mean? Like I just. I go, I go all in, like if it's a topic that I'm interested in or a research pro, you know, whatever, or collaboration, I'm so all in and I go deep. I'm like, let's, let's get to it. Let's get to the root of it. I want to know every single paper on this topic. I want to know everything. And I'm also like a a burrower in in terms of like niche. You know what I mean? I'm like, I, I try to create an environment that is like safe and warm and everyone feels loved and if any animal in the in the colony is like not feeling the vibe of love i like push that animal i like you, you got to go it, it's got so i think i think i'm a groundhog what do you think is the single best day on the calendar september 30th or like, like an, I want an early October day. I want the first day at sweater weather. There's a crisp in the air. I live in New York city. New York city is the best city in the world. Obviously everybody knows that. Um, but walking around New York on a fall day, there literally is no place in the world I want to be than, than that. Who knows you the best? Definitely. My son knows me the best. And also I have to say I have five best friends, women, professional women, my age, and they know me, they can, I mean, no one calls me on my junk. Like these five women, if they were listening to this podcast, they'd be like, you want to know the real story of this woman? Like <laughs> every, you were telling every, me the real story. It's my story. Okay. It's how I see myself. But these five women, know they've known me for 20 years. I talk to all of them every single day. They know me better than anyone. That's lovely. I love that. If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be and why? Pinot Grigio. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't even <laughs> think about that. Our lightning round. Okay. Favorite cheese? Cheddar. Drink of choice? Seltzer. Go-to salad dressing? Like a balsamic. Something light. I don't like creamy dressings. Okay. And let me tell you something, Lisa. I'm from yeah. Minnesota where ranch yeah. dressing, people in Minnesota put ranch dressing on everything. They put ranch dressing on French fries. They put ranch and I didn't like ranch dressing and it was an issue. It was an issue. I wow. like oil-based dressings, light <laughs> ones. Okay, good. I'm glad to know you're passionate about that. <laughs> yeah. Please sing four lines of any song. Go. Uh, okay, here's one. <laughs> This is a song that's been in my head all day, but I'll give you the context for it, is that yesterday I was meeting with a doctoral student who's finishing his dissertation and he's doing a mediation dissertation. And I was like, I don't understand. You know, A is associated with B and B is associated with C. But you're telling me that A does not, B does not mediate the relationship between A and C? Like, how is that possible, right? And so we're having this discussion. And then I stopped everyone. I was like, did anybody read Chicka Chicka Boom Boom to their kids when they were little? What? 100%. 100%. I love that book. Then I was like, A told B and B told C. I'll meet you at the top of the coconut tree. We said D to E, F, G. I'll meet you at the top of the coconut tree. And so I started singing that song. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, mint chocolate chip. Least favorite food? Cream. Anything creamy. 
If you found a starfish in your toilet, what would you do? Flush it. Oh, I don't want a starfish in my toilet. Okay. How many donuts could you eat in one sitting? Five. Easy. Wow, that was a quick answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you were a fart, would you rather be loud and proud or the silent but the deadly type? Oh, loud and proud. Nice. You know me. <laughs> I know. That would be my answer, too. I'm totally loud but proud. Carrie, thank you for talking to me today. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me on. And I wish so you happy. all the best of luck with this podcast. I will thank be a subscriber, listener. No, rate uh, it. I think you got to rate, rate it. it. I think I'll, that's the thing. Rate it. I'm going to do all the things. And I can't wait to hear from everybody else. Thank you. So thanks to Carrie Keys for talking to me today. Thank you to Matt Fox for the motivation and the advice for starting this show. And thanks to Abby Diaz for suggesting the great name of this show. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. You're a groundhog like me. <laughs> when you said that, I almost groundhog. died. <laughs> yeah. I like a burrow. I was going to say like a shark or like something at the top of the food chain. No way, man. No. And I'm going to tell you something else. In evolution, these are the animals that win. The burrowers, the, if you can get underground and you can hide from predators and you can just do your thing and create safe, loving environments for everyone... You survive the longest.